0: Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, as always, Jack Greenstock, joined by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it over first to Spartan Grown.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. I'm an organic farmer at home and uh, here in Michigan. And then at work, I, I do it all synthetically. So you can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, if you have any questions for either organic or synthetic gardening. Or you can shoot me an email if you don't do social media stuff you shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com
0: happy to have you back and passing it over next to kyle breeder
2: hey everybody glad to be here again um yeah my name is kyle breeder yeah what i do is i sorry i'm I'm a little bit i'm looking extremely exhausted uh i I create feminized seeds Uh, if that's something you're into i have a website for that it's the letter p followed by breeding.com for anybody that doesn't know, I've been trying to promote it. Uh, this Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, I have a really big seed uh, drop uh, into play, and it's going to go pretty quick. So if you're interested in that, be there. And uh, all social media platforms, pure breeding now. It used to be pred- predicated breeding, and glad to be here. Thanks, guys.
0: Happy to have you back. Next up, Dr. MJ. Hey
2: guys,
3: Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am happy to be back. I was out last week and had a family issue. I had to tend to, but I'm happy to be back and looking forward to the show.
0: Happy to have you back as always. Next up, Matthew Gates.
4: Hey everyone, my name is Matthew Gates. I'm an IPM specialist. I'm happy to be here as always. And if you want to find my content about plant health and IPM, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, which is the same account that I will be commenting in the chat for those who don't know
0: happy to have you back and noah the grower
5: Hello. hey how's it going everybody i'm uh, noah the grower from instagram you can find me there and uh most weeks here on grow with my fellow growers and uh how's everyone doing
0: doing well happy to have you back and uh last and certainly not least aaron the grower
6: thanks jack good to see you panel and jack and uh Good to be back this week. I'm Aaron the Grower, at Acres.com, ATG Acres on Instagram. I wanted to give a quick shout-out. Don't want to drag on my intro, but I wanted to give a quick shout out to uh Max Scrim and Ruby and Smot Poker for um having me on their podcast this week, uh talking buds. It was it was a blast. I uh hope everybody gets a chance to listen to it and follows those guys and uh subscribes to their their channel.
0: I still need to check it out. I was uh the first person ever to be on that show i think uh max kerman a good guy they're a listener of the show and uh, smart poker is as well and i'm happy to see that they got into making their own podcast as well it's great to see the community growing that way so and
6: nice shirt spartan <laughs> rocking the atg acres over there <laughs> yeah
0: but yeah definitely make sure to check out aaron's episode over there on uh the talking buds podcast and that's buds with a z and uh those are really good guys, so happy to see that they're getting more people coming on for interviews and uh, you know, making more content for the cannabis community. Everybody craves it. So, Brandon, I think you've got an open mic back there. Or, uh, we've got some echo in the background.
7: Yeah, it's me. Should I introduce myself real quick?
0: Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I just didn't, hadn't gotten to you yet. But uh, last and certainly not least, Brandon Rust.
7: What's up? Glad to be here. Uh, for everybody who doesn't know who I am, my name is Brandon Rust. I'm a cannabis cultivator. I do soil agronomy, microbiology, study lots of different stuff, and you can find a body of my work on Instagram at russ.brandon. You can find links to my company, Bokashi Earthwork, and my farm, Black Label Organics, in the bio on my page.
0: Happy to have you back, and sorry I uh, missed you on the introductions. As you probably know, like everybody else who uh, is here on the panel, I sent out the link like less than a few minutes ago. Uh, Me and my wife were hanging out, we ended up uh, taking some edibles and- Yeah, I don't know, a mix of uh, gummies, a shot, uh, some joints, uh, infused things like that. They say that cannabis can uh, make you lose track of time, and that definitely happened. I was checking every five minutes for the first few minutes of the hour and then just totally lost track of time, and Noah the Groa sent me a message, and he's like, hey, are we doing the show? So uh, (laughs) I had to send the link out and get set up. So I'm happy that I was able to get here and get the link out, and here we are live and got the chat. Everybody showed up just like we normally would. So uh, thank you, everybody, for coming back. It's uh, great to have everyone here. It's our regularly scheduled meeting. So I would have hate to have missed it there. So I'm glad that we were able to get this thing running. But I'm curious if anybody has anything that they're, uh, Kyle, I know that you were talking about your
5: C-drop coming up, but uh, if anybody has a topic that maybe they want to kick the show off tonight with.
6: uh, Yeah. I, what about I'll plant see. health? Better, better than what I was gonna say. Let's go with that. <laughs> what were you gonna say? I was gonna say uh, Jack's high as fuck tonight, and it's funny.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say we <laughs> could talk, talk about, about that. does uh, cannabis per- perhaps actually change your perception of time? Because I think that it did for me over the last hour. But it was also okay. probably I was distracted watching TV. Wait, and,
3: Jack, uh, Jack,
0: Jack's here.
4: What is time? Oh, mm. that's a better question. It's space. <laughs> you, you know, it is. That's what they say. Um, it's a
6: measurement of space. <laughs>
4: uh you know the measurement the of space. space
6: okay yeah that's that's where the term space time comes from it's it's oh. a dynamic of space it's a it's a it's a way to quantify a, 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 either a space in time or a space deep man deep all right we can move past deep. that let's go to plant <laughs> health we are
0: four minutes in and we've already gone off the rails but uh yeah that's what i
6: was just gonna i was just gonna <laughs> say uh i was just
4: um we got a compliment on the last video in the comments i I don't always do it but sometimes I will go back and see the next the last few videos and 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 see if people have asked questions like um specifically about IPM but also just things in general and um uh, I was just replying to a comment that said that they really liked us because we talk about cultivation and uh not like other stuff which I mean that does happen so <laughs> like here for example not
3: like the nature of this of the universe and the space-time continuum yeah exactly exactly which cultivation it? related topics i'm down for some cultivation plants ex-
0: exist within that space time and to get to that hey, uh, harvest time i have been pushing my harvest time back and i've never pushed it so long but i've also never pushed my light so low this late in flower and since i think that they're not photosynthesizing as much it's allowed me to uh you know not harvest as quickly which would probably sound like a bad thing but for those who don't know, I had Amy aces was two weeks ahead of my Donnie burger and, uh, the Amy Aces got a little bit close to the light. Anyway. Uh, I dialed it back and that seemed to slow the harvest down. I normally would Tennessee stuff finish around nine, maybe 10 weeks. I think I'm probably at like, uh, 11 weeks on Amy aces and I'm definitely going to harvest it tonight and or tomorrow morning. So it's, it's been pushed very long and very ripe, but the Donnie burger next to it is catching up and near crop. But, uh, It'll allow me to chop down the aces and uh, deal with that, and then give the Donnie Burger a few more days uh, to fill out the entire rest of the tent and get a little bit better light and airflow and finish up proper. So, um, with I, got a, I time, got a
2: question for the. I got a question for the group. If you guys are open to it, unless you have something, we're about to go into something else.
0: No, no, I was just kind of uh, uh, waxing poetic about how <laughs> time does relate to cannabis and plants exist yeah. within the space-time continuum, et cetera. But go ahead, Kyle question
2: yeah so i've been doing some research and i've heard different things and i've reached out to some people that are like really heavily niche into the community and uh, i've heard different things so i'd just like to hear what each and every panel member has to say about this maybe factual or unfactual data but in regards to uh once you have harvested a variety of its seeds the question at hand is to freeze or not to
4: freeze and why or why not I wouldn't. I mean, I feel like you could run into some problems if you froze the seeds. Yeah. Freezing the seeds
3: isn't necessary. Um, Keeping them chilled will slow down the the metabolism within the seed and keep the seed viable for a lot longer. Um, But seeds are always alive. Seeds are always metabolizing and they're sort of burning through the limited amount of energy that they have. So Um, the colder that they are, the like refrigerator temperatures down into the, the high thirties, low forties, um, that really slows down the metabolism and allows them to stay
4: viable longer. Now that's something that even myself, like intellectually, I understand that, but I often forget it in practice, I guess, because, uh, it's not always super, super relevant to me. And I mean, on that topic, uh, you know, like, cause, cause usually I'm going to be using them in the span of time that works out. Um...
0: But you don't know cannabis fucking seed purchasers cause they are, uh, people buy so many <laughs> that they'll never grow them in their lifetime. So they should store them in some sort of, I think, cooled environment because if yeah. you live in like Southern California and your house gets in like the seventies and eighties, you have stuff for like two, three five years. Well now it's probably not very viable anymore as opposed to if it was in your fridge or in like, Uh, Some sort of temperature-controlled environment. Svalbard is a. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's like S V A A L B A R D. Is
4: Svalbard, yeah.
0: Genetics bank. I think it's in uh, Iceland or one Mm -hmm. of those places. But they keep a lot of seed frozen from like the very uh, important uh, genetic stock for human existence. Basically, like they have backups of like wheat and corn and rye and all these things. For some reason, there was some giant issue like uh, that broke out with. Some like hoplite and viroid or something, you know, that became a big dramatic issue that we couldn't deal with for some reason or another. Um, they'd have backups of the seeds stored, and they keep them frozen. And uh, Kevin yeah. Jodry jokes. They actually how- grow
3: them out, though. They, you can only store seeds even at very low temperatures for a certain period of time before they will become no longer viable. Um, so those seed banks, they, even when they're trying to preserve like ancient genetics and, and heirloom varieties and things like that, they have to periodically grow out those plants and harvest new seeds and then store the next round of seeds. And there's a lot of discussion in sort of the, the crop genetics universe and, and the researchers that are interested in crop genetic resources. Um, about the impact of growing them out and about how they should be grown out and about when and who under what circumstances and how they should, the next round of seeds should be selected and all these because every time you do that, things potentially could change um, quite a bit. Um, so seeds, I mean, seeds generally and some seeds won't do well frozen. Some seeds will become unviable. I think cannabis is not like that. Cannabis, Most cannabis seeds can be frozen, but I don't know that you're getting any big benefit over that as opposed to just putting them into a near freezing. Dump. Yeah, because I was to give the uh,
4: tissue
0: cells. I just want to okay. jump in and give the American one a chance to introduce himself because he just got here. And then I have some thoughts about uh, freezing seeds, but I'll uh, give people a little introduction and then we're going to keep the conversation going.
8: Okay. Hello, Jack. Hello, everyone on the panel. I'm the American one uh on youtube and the american one underscore with 18s uh on the igs and yeah uh i'm glad i made it tonight i've lost track of time my alarm didn't go off. usually reminds me but uh, i'm glad to be here you aren't All
0: the only right, so one continue. who lost track of time
8: <laughs> frozen frozen seeds yeah go ahead whoever was yeah,
2: talking. Called- i said
0: you weren't the only one who lost track of time i, I got a little okay. uh, over medicated and uh, sent out the link very late and uh lost right, track of time as well. i don't
2: feel but so bad while you got the
0: mic uh The American one, what do you think about freezing seeds? Because Kyle asked, uh, and then after you, I'm going to make a comment real quick.
8: Well, I would say uh, if for really long term, I bet you it's a good idea. But I would also say, I don't know enough. And I would also say that definitely you would want to make sure they're dry uh, to a certain extent so that they wouldn't be able to freeze and like expand with water content. Mm Because I've heard that's basically what ends up killing them so yes that's a problem with seeds yeah i also think like if you properly storm in a refrigerator even it would they there's studies that say they last like 10 years you know if they're properly dried and in not too hot an area
0: 10 years is definitely more achievable i've seen kagyu k-a-g-y-u on instagram he was a coastal seeds breeder he popped a 40 year old cannabis seed and got it to go and i've also seeing people doing stuff with uh, like test tubes and um, tissue culture, popping older seeds as well. But yeah. the thing I was going to say about storing them in the freezer is kind of like the American one alluded to is you have to have a proper method to make sure that you don't ruin all of them. Because if you put them in and they had too much water content and that freezes and expands, you could literally kill every single one of those seeds. If it swelled too much, it could break the outer shell. Um, but if you do it properly, get them nice and dry. Um, a lot of people use like a thermos and then inside the thermos, they'll have like a jar with like a desiccation. Uh, product. I personally like to use paper towel because it's usually fairly sterile. You can get them in like plastic wrapped things or whatever, and it absorbs moisture, and it's uh, cheap and available. So as opposed to like rice and other things that might um, cause bacteria or whatever molds, mildews. Um, paper towel is going to be so. I know people people will then recommend like you know bake the rice or whatever before you use it um, to store the seeds, right. but I have definitely seen people store cannabis seeds for. 20 30 40 years and have them be able to pop the issue is they tend to not have a lot of vigor but one way to counteract that is using gibberellic acid or ga3 um and kyle's actually experimented a little bit with that and giving older seeds to pop so i'll actually pass it over to kyle and just kind of thoughts on that
2: yeah so so last year so basically the last two years uh the new england rot candy and everything anything that i've ever sold in the last two years uh you know, during that time, there was a big debate whether you should not so much freeze for storage purposes and keeping them, but more, more so air quotes, reenacting mother nature and freezing them over just for a couple hours and then, or sorry, a couple of days and then pulling them out just to defrost, just to give them that flash. Um, and that was, that was kind of where I was heading initially with this topic is like, some people are like, oh, you should definitely reenact it. But then I talked to Mean Gene. He's like, dude, I've never frozen seeds in my entire life.
0: It's like uh, an overwintering. My-
2: right yeah so the last bit so like i said so the last few years i did freeze them and i've gotten nothing but good feedback in regards to germination rates so like now i don't know what to believe like or not not so much i don't know what to believe i don't know i would like to see is there you know when you freshly harvest a plant to freeze some and then not free some and then see how the vigor between those two processes work
4: because well, here's have my question idea. so like here's another aspect of that like recently you know, I actually, uh, I actually had posted about uh, some, some research regarding the plant's ability to interact with different microbes. And much on the top of the, 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 the Svalbard um, sea saving, and that sort of a thing, like modern cultivars versus sort of ancient or even like, you know, wild uh, plants have very different abilities to do, to do these sorts of interactions. And I'm, I'm, it's interesting to me, in a lot of cases, you know there are even such things as seed endophytes, and I wonder if the the process of of cooling down or freezing or wherever people are doing it um, also upsets the the seed microbiome uh, itself. Uh, that's an, you know I don't know to what extent that has even been looked into.:
8: Yeah, I'll but. say
4: that some of the
8: strains are grown in areas that wouldn't freeze over ever. So, like, yeah, if it's a sativa equatorial, they would never see freezing temperatures. So that is an issue, too. Uh, but I, like, put them in the refrigerator for that reason, thinking, like, you know, they feel that like cold autumn-winter kind of spell. But who knows? Like, I don't know if there's any truth to it at all, but I've never had issues with them, like, dying on that, it just in the refrigerator anyway. But and the endophytes, I'm sure would survive uh, down to 40 degrees you know you got to almost boil stuff to kill them right a lot some of bacteria. stuff survives on the moon Sorry. Right. and some some All dies right. off quick too though i guess yeah yeah well it's Except- interesting is like you can think the other way
1: too i wonder if the freeze actually cleans up endophytes endophytes that would normally be something that could turn out being bad oh yeah good thing could be a good not all endophytes
4: are good after all that's a good point considering
8: the new post that uh sink angel did some endophytes or even bacteria in your soil is bad that you don't want to add. maybe
4: i think that the tagline for that post should be even the good guys aren't always good guys or sometimes there are better guys that are taking up the space of the of the good of the of the uh, that are that no i'm sorry sometimes there are good guys that are taking up the space that better guys could be. Um, you, you, yeah.
0: As to the idea that good guys aren't always necessarily good with like the mycorrhizae induced. Um,
4: Susceptibility.
0: Think, yeah. susceptibilities. So it, in my eyes, it had always been positive, but there are potential edge cases where it might open me up to something that maybe it wasn't susceptible to previously.
4: Absolutely. Uh, not and, everything and, is black
0: and white, but.
4: Oh yeah. Well, like and um, and like, and I like touching on that? Um, one of the interesting things is that, like, like I was saying earlier, some of these modern cultivars and, and cannabis, of course, is sort of like it, it has its very interesting, unique context with regards to this. But it, but still, domestication in general, um, you know, has caused a lot of plants to have a very different relationship. And in a lot of cases, because those relationships are mediated by the immune system, um, they just don't have the way, you know, and I've talked about this a lot, but they just don't have a good way of, of dealing with certain um, microbiome dynamics. So certain microbes that, you know, they like, cause of course the plant has to find some, it has certain ways to like tell, you know, as by proxy, oh, this is a good relationship. This is a bad relationship. And in some cases you got microbes that will use the same proxy, but they, they are not going to have uh, the same level of like exchange or possibly even no exchange, in which case they become, an outright parasite or basically a parasite because they're getting a ton of photosynthate from the plant. You know, if they have a very, I mean, I'm talking about like, not just like things in the rhizosphere, but things that are like uh, you know, joining with and like um, you know, either ecto or endo um, spheric interactions that are actually in uh, integrating themselves in the, in the root zone, for example, uh, you could have a situation where a plant is sending a bunch of sugar to the um, or whatever other nutritional needs to the, to the microbe and the microbe is getting, giving basically nothing in return. And uh, in that case, plants have very limited options. Usually they have two ways of going about it. Either they keep that from happening in the first place using proxies, which can be faked just like any other proxy, or they sanction it. Basically they, they essentially like um, attenuate the resources that they're giving to the microbe and, but, but still, it's still already there. And so if you, if you have this happen a bunch, I just wonder, it's one of the reasons why I advocate for people to know what the microbes are that they're using and to not sort of take it on chance that the microbes, even like that they're harvesting. I know that um, IMO is very popular and I'm not like against that or anything like this. I actually am for it. I think that harvesting Uh, local microbes is going to be something that will be greatly benefited by um procedures that let us tell well what is this local microbe what are these strains how are they different and are they actually benefiting my plant i really think that that technology is yeah you know coming
7: i think that rapid pcr gene you know so so you can take the genus species of different uh, fungi and bacteria are, that type of technology is just becoming more and more available um, because of the millions and millions of dollars of research that have gone into identifying um, and mapping out genomes for different uh, microorganisms.
4: Yeah, sometimes you can only test like, like, sometimes you can only be limited to knowing what family or what order the organism comes from. But yeah, again, it really just depends on how you're doing it. And, um, you know, and I think that's very cool, I I guess. um, But like, yeah, at the end of the day, I think some people preach for diversity of the microbiome. Obviously, people aren't saying like, including the pathogens. But uh, the issue is that like, there is no good guy. In fact, I'm writing an article for Skunk Magazine right now. Um, uh, And that's actually the topic is basically that like the microbiome and and the plants interaction with the environment is constantly in flux. And there are things that we're learning about this relationship that should give us pause and consider even in like a regenerative agriculture sense, um, you know, what are we introducing? And basically not to like assume that there are, that there's this black and white dichotomy. It's really a spectrum. Like a lot of to things go in back nature. A-
0: a little bit to the freezing or even like cooling example. Um, Just thinking about like what we use refrigerators for in general, it slows the decay of our food. And I think probably the basis of that is maybe it's slowing down the microbes ability to break down or whatever, like with pests in a colder environment, a lot of them reproduce much more slowly than they do in a hotter environment. Not, not the case for everything, but a lot of things move slower. Like humans, when we get cold, it's a lot harder for us to move around uh, quickly. So it's interesting, like the colder, the slower things uh, tend to decay um, like the seeds tend to last a little bit longer when they're frozen or stored at refrigeration temperatures. I've mentioned this in the past, but with my velvet punch before because Kyle actually mentioned and uh, another individual I talked to who was a breeder said that they had like a lower germination rate at one point, and then they took some seeds and then they froze them and the germination rate actually increased from the, like, what they believe to be an overwintering effect. Um, so I tried to freeze a batch of 10 seeds I put 10 in my curador, 10 in my refrigerator or you know, 10 in the curador. And then I just left 10 out at room temp. I've germinated all 30 of the seeds and it was like 30 for 30. So what I concluded was <laughs> any of the methods would work for at least short term. And I thought, you know, the curador is at least cooler than my house and it'll slow the degradation a little bit. And it's the most convenient to me. <laughs> so I think people should probably do, do it in the way that it's going to be Uh, convenient for them. And the one thing that I've also heard mentioned in those conversations that I forgot to bring up earlier is with freezing seeds, if you're going to freeze them, then, you know, plan to keep them in there for years. Don't be taking them in and out or like have smaller batches, because if you keep taking them in and out, there's a chance that there's going to be moisture building up from going from like the freezing temperature to your room temperature and then sealing and unsealing jars or whatever you're keeping it in. So be cognizant of that and don't just be taking it out all the time. If you're the type of person who has to go look at your seat stash all the time, then be aware of the uh, repercussions that map. might come from pulling it yeah, in man, and out of the freezer.
2: You know,
7: uh, I'm lucky enough to have central AC here and everywhere I've been. And I just keep my stuff in a cool, dark place. And as long as, uh, you know, and have any issues then you shouldn't you should be able to store them for a relatively long time i did have um the the seeds that gardening the lost herbs. greg i think he actually came on here one time he found um feral fields and he collected a bunch of seeds from different varieties up in uh, southern siberia and those seeds those particular seeds actually would do better after it wasn't like oh I'm just gonna freeze them like put them in a bag it was it was more like uh, you know you have to wrap them up so they wouldn't like freeze freeze you know keep them in you know wrapped up in a cloth in a box or whatever but it they did better if they went into um, a co- the cold environment for you know a week I saw that firsthand but you know got, I didn't
2: he's got some cool stuff that guy huh your, your, oh, yeah, uh, right. uh, yeah. Lost yeah, he reached out when I posted that in 1994 Northern Lights. He said that he asked if he'd do a train. I was like, well, do you have anything that would survive the winter? And he had like this massive list of stuff that would like survive the cold. And I was like, look at yeah. him Pretty cool.
7: So I think he's out doing, you know, running around in, in Russia right now. So he, he'll come up on, you know, places where he can source feral varieties of cannabis i worked with some of his autoflower stuff so they're hardy plants
2: what are the brandon what do you get for terpenes off off stuff like that like those those plants
7: you know it was really indicative of a lot of the earlier stuff that i smoked in the 90s that really heavy uh lemon pine uh kind of almost like the cleaner yeah yeah that's what I got off all the stuff that I was running. I only ran the one variety. I still have some other stuff that I never ran. I'm just holding on to it for when the time's right. But it was really reminiscent of that type of stuff. Aaron, the grower, I uh,
0: just see your message just only for the first hour. So I wanted to give you a chance to maybe weigh in. Do you have any thoughts on the freezing seed conversation or uh, maybe anything that uh, Kyle and Brandon were just
6: talking about? It's all, it's all pretty Been. I think you guys have covered it pretty well. You know, I, I have a fucking fat seed stock that I keep in the fridge, vacuum sealed at this point, um, it, to avoid like any kind of moisture exchange. But, um, you know, like I said, I i pop seeds that are, that were 10, 11, 12 years old on this last run. And, um, I had pretty low rates, but I still got like, uh, a little over 30% of them to pop. So no gibberellic acid either, you know, just raw dog soil style.
0: Natural. Hey, I mean, 30% better, anything better than zero after like a decade, I think has to feel like a win because you've kept the genetic live and you have another chance to run it. So I'd be happy to keep them growing, you know, but. Mm-hmm. So we have a few questions from the chat that I did want to get to. Uh, Sal Blydenberg says, how many fans do you run in your tent? Airflow can be a little difficult intense." And I thought about it, and I think the actual answer is five. I have a tower fan, like a mini, like half size tower fan on the bottom of the tent that oscillates back and forth. I have two clip fans above the canopy, uh, the exhaust fan, which uh, I think that's four. And then I have an intake fan, which is like just a booster, which draws in air. Uh, And I've never had mold or mildew and keeps the air flowing a lot. The plant seems to like it. Uh, It's probably a little bit overkill, but to be honest, to not ever have to deal with mold and mildew issues, I think it's worth it. And um, the plants actually, I think, respond pretty well to. They grow giant thick stalks for being indoor plants and uh, tend to support with like being staked up and things like that. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefit to having lots of airflow. And I'm curious if any other tent growers on the panel have any thoughts on that? Because we also have a some, few other questions. I got something
2: interesting to show you guys real quick. So somebody sent me this. It's an organic growth stimulant for uh, a bunch of different things, but primarily they sent me first as a seed starter. I don't know if you guys ever seen this or not.
0: So we can, it's hard to see. It says Rev uh, organic growth stimulant, maybe.
2: Yeah. The so AMT can you tell us a little bit about it? I don't know shit about it. I just know that they sent it. They reached, I don't remember who reached out to who, but basically I was having, uh, we started talking about like really old seeds like, Oh, we should try this product that we have. And, Apparently it's like the next thing since sliced bread in regards to like not doing like tissue culture so i'm i'll be tr- i'm gonna try it soon i'll let everybody know what yeah
0: happened. let us know how it goes i don't want to give them a free plug just because I uh, sent you some free shit no offense but uh, i don't want to become that kind of show
2: i hope if it works if well heard of it or not yeah and i wasn't sorry i was gonna do that for sure if they're calling
1: it a plant growth hormone it's or regulator it's probably something like drobilic acid or one of those hormones that's that's what's in the seed already.
2: It says the ingredients are 100% organic humic compounds.
1: So. so, it's just humic
2: compounds, okay? Whatever that means, yeah.
0: Maybe like a humic acid. Uh, I know people use humic and fulvic and things like that early on to try and promote things. But what about Bob? Has another question. Uh, how would you all address top growth leaf tacoing? It's not heat stress. I backed off the lights and up the RH. So,
3: I already get got into this with him a little bit in chat. Um, I said it was probably a nutrient ratio, a nutrient element ratio issue, something might be getting too high. And now we've sort of chatted a little bit deeper about that. And he said he was trying to, to, um, can't remember what word he used, but give them a lot of calcium. Um, so that may have caused issues with uptake of other sort of antagonistic nutrients like iron and and magnesium and potassium. Um, That's right, we sort of got with it. Um, uh, My first question about that was how are you fertilizing? Um, And just to be aware, most of the time, if your leaves are gonna taco like that, it has something to do with the fertilization. Um, Although it could be heat, it could be, but we had already ruled that out
1: it could also oh, be an
7: unseen pest too there's microscopic mites that yeah, will say yeah
1: damage. russets will do that we yeah. yep. will make it do that broad but
3: preferentially in the top part of the plant
1: um in the top
6: yeah in yeah I'd that's think in the canopy I'd also, I'd also, I'd also try yeah to that's, check where out. that's where yeah. That's where it is. starts you'll see a rusty brown little tiny worms all over everything if they're rusted. you'll you'll kind of notice it well, yeah
7: they almost look like your plants being attacked by like fungus right and it's like yeah. some kind of like a brownish um powdery mold almost but you can't because they're so small you got to see them under a microscope but if you if you're seeing that you have a real bad problem already yep. because because i mean those things are so tiny and when you're seeing something like that you're seeing a massive number of them so yeah Another russet thing. mites
4: have three three names they're called russet mites which is a color, right? Russet brown, mm-hmm. uh, rust mites and uh, blister mites. And I was definitely reintroduced to the second t- name when I visited a-, a cultivation facility. And they brought me in. They said, What's that? And it was exactly what you're describing, Brandon, this writhing pile of definitely not spores and fungus, because it was writhing. And I was like, yeah. That is a massive russet mite. Uh, just pile pile is the correct word for it, uh, you know, amalgamation. Uh, it was amazing also because like the plant didn't even look that sad just on that just on that one area. Like it almost looked like somebody had committed like corporate espionage and just dumped a vial of them onto the plant. It was amazing.
7: And I think, you know, I, the if you get hemp at Mike, there are things that you can do to treat it. A physical removal of infected parts. Um, if you don't have the ability to just cut your shit down and be like, oh, fuck this, I'm going to start over. Um, physical removal of any infected parts and then continual treatment with a rotating IPM um, and biocontrols is really the only way to go about dealing with it. Yeah, definitely not make using sure it. When you clone, you dunk, like you have to take preparations at every step to make sure that you don't run into any of those issues. So let's say if you have a mom and you're cloning, you should be you should be taking care of your mom all the time. When you take cuts, you should be dunking your cut before you plug. When you transplant your clones, you should be dunking your clones again. Like if you do all the the back end maintenance and then when you go in the veg, you make sure you're spraying your veg plants or you're releasing your buying biocontrols, whatever SOP that you've created. I mean, it's going to be less of a problem, but I see a lot of times people will ask me, hey, what nutrient deficiency is this or what's going on? And it's in a lot of times, pest pressure, especially when it gets higher, can look like nutrient deficiencies. And so I'll see people be like, oh, I tried using this and this and this. And I'll say, hey, go look at the, the sticky cards that you have and tell me if the things either have an elongated pointed abdomen or if they have a, a blunt Um, rounded abdomen you know and and i'll get the answer oh look dude you got root aphids that's why you think you have a nitrogen deficiency because those things are feeding on your roots and the plant is starting to pull all of its mobile nutrients from the bottoms because you have such a bad problem that all the the roots are getting eaten up and the plant's not able to meet its uh, nutritional
4: requirements you know Actually, on that point, I'm um, I, I really happy you brought that up because specifically for rice root aphids, and we can go back to what we were talking about earlier, but quick segue, um, I was discussing with somebody about uh, certain symptoms of rice root aphids, and it's pretty common for people to say what you have just said, uh, and it is true, that is, a, that is definitely a symptom of, of, um, of those root aphids because of their feeding in the root zone, those mobile nutrients, uh, you know, they, they, they you can see it, they yellow, they, they go chlorotic, even if they're not close to senescing, but, um, uh, an individual I was talking to was saying that that is, that is what they use as a, as a, as a way to tell. Um, it, but they said instead of looking at the roots and I want to tell people out here that it is it definitely been my experience that you can have a, a pretty sizable colony of rice root aphids on a plant. Um, and uh, not see that nutritional sort of chlorosis uh, occur. So I just want people in case you were, in case people were operating under that assumption that oh, my plants look fine. There's no rice root aphids, That's not always no. necessarily the case. Uh, specifically, if you only get a couple and you're not really very vigilant about it. So be vigilant, stay vigilant. I think that's the the main point that Brandon was articulating about russets and, and in general. And I heartily yeah. agree with that. I mean, you have to do you have
7: to do your regular scheduled maintenance, and a lot of and I can't express that enough to new growers because it has to be something that's just like inherently
4: there that they always know to do. I feel like that's I don't want to sound like a broken record, but like that is a big thing that I think people just don't they really just overlook, and for for multiple reasons, especially in a home grow situation. But uh, at a commercial level too, um, it can be hard, not enough hours in the day, not enough personnel uh, tasked to doing it. Um, I just had a conversation with, with a client who was, um, we were articulating some of the ways to go about having a better vigilant system. And, you know, maybe this is less relevant to the home grow, but um, cross-training is something I'm a massive advocate for. Um, And uh, I've worked with people who have dedicated scout groups who do all the scouting. And I've worked with people who have done like a hybridized cross training system with a dedicated scout group. I find that the latter is almost always better because um, the first people to see a problem are not necessarily going to be the the scout group. Uh, It could be the CEO walking in and taking a look, or it could just be somebody working in the cultivation line on the irrigation or, uh uh deleafing or doing one of a, many other um of uh, tasks and they see something odd they because they have training hopefully recognize it they report it and they can immediately um react to that if you know so
0: it's not not too dissimilar to like at Disney everybody has to pick up trash and it shows mm-hmm. that like where there's issues in the park and like even the CEO will pick it up but Spartan had his hand up so I wanted to give him a chance to jump in there.
1: Yeah I just wanted to jumping on that question before we walk any further away from it and that's um there's a couple things we didn't bring up i know that he said in the question that he what is, did he say he raised the light or dim the light i can't remember
0: he said it's not
1: heat stress i backed off the lights and up to the rh it didn't say either way um if it's not heat stress it still could be light stress depending um so that even if you have a nice cooling there um if you have too intensive light that can also cause that um but what I'm thinking too is it could be a physical thing to air too. A lot of people like to put air movement between their light and the top of their canopy. And if the canopy grows into that air movement, you'll get those top leaves that are at the top of the canopy will start tacoing pretty quick because it's just blowing constantly on it and it just can't transpire well.
0: It's defending so, itself from the wind.
1: Yeah. So if it's only on that, only at the top and you're only seeing it there, look for physical things like bugs, wind, and heat or
6: light intensity. Did we find out if it's uh, organic or uh, synthetic grow? Do we know? No, we don't know. Cause I'm curious. The, the reason I ask is cause I think the solution is relevant in my approach. Um, I think that pH would be an indication of a nutrient um, deficiency or toxicity. Kind of like what doc was getting at, but approaching it from uh, without having to do a soil test or anything like that maybe just testing the uh, pH of your soil. Yeah, I was thinking maybe the pH is wonky. Well, if, I was, Yeah, there's I was all sorts of things was, that could be plant, like that.
8: But
0: but if, it, can I know, throw something in before we even speculate more? So I'll pass it right back to you, Doc. But before we speculate more on what it could be, yeah. I just want to make the comment that when you cause a stress or a damage to your plant, you're going to see responses for the few, next few days, in my opinion. It's reacting to what it it just had happened to it so even if you dialed back the light and even if it heat was maybe an issue before and now it's not you're still going to see some of the tacoing it's it might not recover it might recover but those leaves might stay tacoed. Uh, just as a point so i just wanted to throw that in there before yeah. we continue on maybe other things that it could have been because it could have just been the light or the heat or whatever um has already been discussed but go ahead if
3: they really tacoed unless it was just sort of temporary heat I, I don't think the leaves are really gonna get back um maybe if there were like a wind reaction it was small temporary if it was something caused by mites or if it was something caused by nutrient imbalance then they might sort of like flatten out a little bit again but they're never gonna like look healthy again um fully as as those leaves um there's a you know what I was going to say is whenever you run into like any problem in your grow sort of no matter what it is I think it's a good practice to think about well what has changed recently what might I have done a little bit differently I mean half the time we're like doing something differently in our gardens and like wondering if it's going to provoke a change so I think that that's always a good place to start Um, and in this case he was saying you know I, I think I've I've changed um, a, a certain nutrient ratio and been giving more dose of calcium. So that's one of the reasons that you sort of like narrow in. And that's a good way, I think, to, to try to, to diagnose some of these things. Um, and he's growing in a, a organic living soil. Um, it's really hard to otherwise know sort of what might be up with certainly nutrients in there other than thinking back about what you have been doing in the past. Um, You're right, pH tests might be able to reveal um, one sort of class of problems, but there's a lot of other things that it's gonna be tough to precisely diagnose. So I think that oftentimes it becomes easier just to think back about what's happened to them recently.
0: That's a great point. We have another question from uh, Sal Blydenberg. Sorry if I mispronounced the name, but Brandon Rust, have you had to add iron every other week to pretty much all soils you use?
9: Okay,
7: so this is a really good question, and it and it what it comes down to is the chemistry that is involved with iron when it comes in contact with water or a certain pH range, it oxidizes extremely quick and so what happens if you have an adequate amount of iron here's a good example the the soil here in oklahoma is full of iron that's why they call it red dirt but it's red because it's oxidized which means that that it would have to be uh, it have to be reduced um into its various form to become biologically available and the problem with this is that you know when you're operating in the type of system that I operate a modified growing mix a peat based system that has a ton of a ton of pore space and oxygen it retains large amounts of moisture these are all things that are going to affect the availability of iron not just iron but other other mineral, other, you know, molecules that will change in the presence of, um, you know, uh, hydrogen, depending on the chemical, uh, the uh, the molecular form. Iron, when you look at it from a soil perspective, there's a certain number that you want. You want it to fall into solution at a certain point. But what I'm seeing is that it's very difficult to keep it at a at maximum sufficiency in these types of systems that being said there's different ways that you can go to make it more available iron is actually one of two elements besides zinc that have that can that can utilize the three different forms of uptake diffusion uh uh diffusion uh freaking um uh uh inception and uh what's the third one uh dr mj coco help me out here
3: oh sorry i was totally paying attention to my chat i wasn't paying attention. what what were the first two uh
7: diffusion uh mass flow and uh inception sorry so mm-hmm. iron and zinc can both be absorbed <laughs> yeah. through there right um so There's different ways that it can be acquired, but it has to be in an available form. So what I've been seeing is that when you add something like a, a humic fulvic acid to the water before you add in your your appetite, which is your 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 mind mineral, right? Before you add that in, more of that is going to be available. So less of it is going to oxidize in the presence of oxygen in this pH range in the in the in the presence of water. So even though you could add that in, it's not all going to be 100% sufficient. And none of, these, uh, none of these molecules are going to be really 100% sufficient because of the different ways that they're actually able to be accumulated. You know, phosphorus, for instance, the only way that it can be accumulated, accumulated is through, is through um, diffusion. And so it has only one way that it's going to be able to, and it's one of the most important elements because it's responsible for all the, the energy. You know, it's responsible for ribo, uh, ribonuc- uh the uh, ribo-1-5-biphosphate-carboloxase-oxygenase.
0: So we have a lot of questions. Not to cut you off uh, too soon, Brandon, but uh, we have a few guys that are only going to be here on the panel with us till 8. I think uh, you might even be one of them, but I want to make sure we can get to as many questions as we can tonight uh, before the people have to take off. So I want to try and go ahead and get to the next one which um, somebody says, can you address the recent buzz promoting nitrogen increase in flower? Cocoa, Sensi Cocoa and Bloom Yellow Brands do this in their suggested mixes. GH Flora and Flora Flex Newts do not.
3: This is uh, um, increasing the the ratio of nitrogen during flower?
0: Yeah, so they're basically saying like, they believe that they're seeing a recent buzz and promoting an in- increase in nitrogen going into flower. Uh, Scentsy Cocoa is doing it, and Bloom Yellow Brands is doing it, but they're not seeing it in the GH
1: Flora or Flora Flex brands. And it's nutrients is pushing this too. What, I uh,
6: can- do we know what form of nitrogen is it? Is it like, um, a, uh, you know, because I know that there's one of the two, or you know, there's more than two, but one of the two primary forms of nitrogen is more. Um, useful to the plant in flower and one is more useful to the plant in veg. So it may have something to do with that speculation. Okay. So what I see utilizing
7: data and then also working with some other some other people, there are certain ratios to help keep uh, things balanced and solution uh, from reacting chemically. So unless something like has a EDA, ED, ET, EDT p-a chelated uh, molecule that's not going to change what a lot of times these things are going to react so um, getting the the ratios correct and what i've seen is that if you match nitrogen and calcium um, almost throughout the cycle but then just let the nitrogen fall off completely just fall off maybe the last three weeks of flour that you're going to get a, a better results so there's certain things like when you're looking at from a nutrient standpoint you can take uh potassium over so you have potassium right over calcium plus magnesium so if your parts per million or your percentage of are, are you, no parts per million because the percentage is different as they relate um You would take the parts per million of calcium, let's say it's 150, and then you take the parts per million of magnesium, let's say it's 60, um, you have a total of 210. So your potassium should be equal to or greater than that total number. And then you take like your nitrogen, and you're looking at what's your total nitrogen. Uh, I mean, what's your total calcium? Your calcium's 150, so you want to be running your ppms of nitrogen at 150 as well. Now, when when you start doing that drop off when you're not fertigating or when you're just kind of just feeding water at the end of your cycles to uh, to just let the plant kind of do its thing. And I don't recommend it for a really long time. Um, you, you look at your nitrogen levels later on in flour on the later stages, and you do want that to drop because you don't want an abundance of nit- nitrate nitrites left in your flour or excess nitrogen that hasn't been complexed because that's where you get like the harsh flavors. And that's what's been, I think, I think has been associated with like the white ash and the the harsh flavors um and this is something that you can look back into like tobacco you know um over fertilization back in colonial times they would completely they would inspect crops and if the if the product didn't smoke how it should because it was over fertilized um they would get rid of the crop you know they weren't allowed to put it onto the market
0: just curious if any of the uh, other bottle growers no other the Grower, I know you use bottles. Do you have any thoughts on the whole nitrogen uh, early in flower thought? You're muted, Noah. Maybe you're AFK.
3: So early in flower, are we basically talking during the, the bolt, the stretch?
0: That's kind of my assumption. Uh, yeah. That's what most of the uh, nutrient recommendation lists are sort of
2: uh, mirroring.
3: Yeah, so plants definitely still need nitrogen during that phase. I mean, they need nitrogen basically the whole way through. The nitrogen needs don't change significantly in the plant. The only thing that really changes is that the plant, when it's really in a flowering period, can use a little higher ratio of of, um, P and K, but the end needs don't really drop off. If you stop nitrogen, you basically... Are, are forcing the plant into like a starvation mode, um, which again, like Brandon was saying, if you do that right at the end, there, there's not a big problem with that. But um, certainly keep the, I mean, I, I don't think there's any benefit to increasing the amount of nitrogen during that early period of flower, but there would be problems if you really tried to drop it off too much. Um, and most nutrient schedules don't really sort of drop nitrogen that much into later into flower
7: that I've analyzed at least. And, and the, you know, the importance be t- because K regulates the model opening, which is going to affect the translocation of nutrients. And you need to have P, a, a steady supply, right? You ha- you can't interrupt that. And it's really, it can be difficult. One For of the things- breath, can, yeah, particularly. You know, if P is- responsible for the enzyme that breaks uh the carbon dioxide and converts it into carbon monoxide and uh for the uh you know for the formation of atp which is the exchange currency so you don't ever want to run out of gas right because then you've stopped the whole system uh, k it needs to be abundant because it's going to help regulate those those um those uh you know up the uptake of of minerals from the soil so but the thing also is as a nutrient calcium interacts with phosphorus so when ph- when phosphate is released that's the available form it can quickly bond with calcium ions to create calcium phosphate so lowering calcium in flowering can help facilitate some of the the energy needs because it will make the phosphate a little more available. So pulling back, It also makes
3: potassium a little bit more available. Yeah.
7: So I mean yeah, having I
3: mean, less calcium makes potassium more available.
7: Yeah, it'll make the potassium more available, but it'll also kind of uh, that reaction the, between calcium the phosphorus and phosphorus available. will still I got
3: gotcha, you. I'm following you.
7: Calcium, you'll get more phosphate. So that's an interaction that year that we're looking at as well.
8: I was going to say maybe the uh, two different nutrient companies, the one had a lot of nitrogen early, like throughout the whole cycle already. And that's why they didn't want to up the nitrogen. But if they're going by percentages, then that would mean that they accounted for that. But I was wondering, like, even if you front load nitrogen, it'll get sucked out of the plant relatively quickly, I, I would imagine, Right. Or you can't. Yeah, load. You can, the plant's not <laughs> yeah. going to
3: store a bunch of nitrogen for later use. It it can reallocate yeah. nitrogen to other places, but it, you, you quickly it, it develop will. a toxicity.
7: So if if you're over, uh, if you have a way over abundance, but typically what's happening is the the nutrition from the soil is going up to all of the top portions of the plant. Anything that's not um, used immediately is reallocated through the phloem. Um, back through the channels and back down as you know, sugars, food that feed the soil. But um, I forgot what I was just
6: saying. I'm really stoned right now. Let me uh, let me pop in real quick and uh, give a little bit of a sign off here. I know there's a few more questions real quick, so I won't have a chance to get to them. So real quick, um, Ranty Social Auto Cropper asked, "What is the best way to save terpenes? Temperature." Uh, the other two questions that were asked, I do not know the answer to, so that's my input. Um, I am Aaron, the grower. That's ATG Acres on Instagram and ATGAcres.com. Please go check out Talking Buds with my boys, uh, Smot Poker and Max scrim and Ruby. They do a really good job over there promoting um, proper uh, fundamental, you know, grower sort of information, and they also like put out this historical sort of landmark. With their podcast, like just like we do, so um, it's always good to talk to those guys. So I encourage everybody to go check them out. I'm gonna post a link to it in the chat um, here once I sign off, so everyone can uh, check it out after Spartans uh, boys get on and uh, boys and gal. And uh, yeah, anyway, good seeing everybody. I'll see y'all next week, hopefully.
0: Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Have a great rest of your uh, week.
1: Good night, night, man. See you next week, guys. Take it easy, man.
0: I think, uh, Kyle, you said, uh, you're going to be leaving at this time as well. So if you want to give your final sh- uh, shout outs and maybe plug your upcoming seed drop.
2: Yeah. This old man's got to wake up early for work tomorrow. Uh, yeah. So Kyle reader, um, I specialize in feminized seeds. My website is very, uh, desolate right now. I have no strains on there right now. No varieties. Actually. I just pulled the last one off because, uh, just I'm, I'm out, but uh, I have a new drop coming. So that's the, that's a positive thing. And um, that will be this Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time will everything will be live so whoever wants to get involved with that some really cool crosses New a rock candy um, the root beer by GMO by root beer back cross that I got specifically uh, and directly from uh, Mean Gene and Skunk Tech that they were working on and uh, uh, oh, and the strawberry sugar cookies that I have. That's uh, like an Afghan cherry and uh, wedding cake cross. That is like just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful plant. Um, it's all crossed with uh, green Bodhi's Hazy but anyways, There's some really beautiful material in there, but uh, yeah, so that's happening and uh, I just appreciate everything we're doing. Glad everyone's here. We're all still safe. We're home and all that good stuff. And uh, see you guys next week and pure breeding on all social media platforms. Feel free to reach out. I uh, always chat with anybody that does and yeah, uh, or email me at purebreeding, the letter M, the letter A, from Massachusetts, uh, at gmail.com. And uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Have a good one. Thank you for joining us, Kyle. And uh, was anybody else going to be leaving at this point in the show?
8: Have a good one, Kyle. Peace out. Fair enough, Kyle. Yeah, I'm going to
9: get out of here, too. I'm up uh, in
1: Seattle. I'm going to go to a Seahawks game tomorrow. And, hang up bye, buddies. But, uh. Yeah, I'm no other girl on Instagram with two E's. Uh, I didn't get to say a whole lot because uh, everybody here is a bunch of ninjas and I'm not getting in the way of any of you guys. So uh,
2: I try to get in the flow when I can. I will be here next week. You guys have a great show.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Noah. And we definitely look forward to hearing more from you in the future.
8: Have a great one, Noah. Have a good one, buddy. Later, dude. More love, Noah.
0: I'm going to be dropping the link in the chat to join the panel here in a little bit, but I want to get through the rest of these questions that I've uh, copy-pasted. Uh, Aaron touched on one. It says, what is the best way to save terpene? So I'm actually going to do a little share screen action for just a second and show, and I'm again, I'm not sponsored by either of these products, but I have used them. Um, this is a Curador study that shows terpene concentration. Uh, the Curador is the blue, the light blue up top. They have a 1.5, which is stored basically over a year's time. It's like three months, uh, six months, nine months, and one year. And then you have the control, which is just room temperature. And then you have uh, the humidity packs, both Ovida and Intaker Boost. And you see they lost basically more terpenes than even just keeping it in a jar at room temperature. And That's the other, easy, me. <laughs> <That's Yeah. awful. laughs>
7: uh... it really
0: lends to the idea that a lot of growers intuitively said, and this was way before I ever saw this data, they said to me, to my face, dude, those things steal the terps. They steal the terps. They've told like because I won some Integra Boy, at a four twenty thing uh, for free. I was trying them. I thought I that they did time. a decent job, but I, I, I don't like to deny the data. And I, this isn't necessarily fully conclusive, but yeah, I think it's uh, a pretty like good the, indicator. Uh,
7: oh, so kinda. The
0: other I mean, thing is
7: really replicated, and they can do the, do it again. I wouldn't ever cook my weed personally. I mean, damn. I look at those things and I go.
0: Well, this one's a little bit more up in the air. So I was going to show. I was going to actually uh, have a conversation about the herbs now. So this in this study, they actually had higher terpenes than they did a, a hang dry 14 uh, days at 60/60. 60, 60. Their terps were 2.26 in the herbs now. The THD bomb uh, had 1.3 point uh, 1.34 terps uh, in the dryer, which is actually lower than the air dry. So the air dry was higher in that instance. But the air dry here, zero point seven seven, um, and then the ultimate, where it's in the herbs dryer, was one point two four. So it was a split in that case. But the it's interesting because like the THC is higher um, in the one that has the lower terps. So um, there's Probably a little bit of a trade off.
7: because that's what you'll see. You'll see uh, less water content means higher concentration of cannabinoids, but also that also what I see is that. Drier flour doesn't often contain as many uh, what monoterpenes.
0: Well, this one they have uh, terpenes ten point six one milligrams per gram, and this one has ten point two eight milligrams per gram. Again, THC is higher in the air dry, uh, lower in the herbs. Now on this one, but the terpenes are very slightly higher. It almost looks the exact same though. If you look at these numbers, it's pretty much the exact same result. Uh, in in this instance. There's yeah, other people, your
1: margin of error on the test results. Those are identical numbers pretty much. Yeah. Or I mean, it's right. thin, there's no significant risk.
0: difference. So in, in my perspective, you have a much smaller drying space. Uh, you're not using up like a whole tent or air conditioning and things like that. And you're getting it in four and a half days versus two weeks. So uh, as far as a business would be concerned, I think a lot of people are going to look to uh, maybe try them out. But then there's another person who like called them out like, Hey, look, I tried herbs now and I was not happy with it. And they're like, we're trying to be transparent. So they showed this testing where this person had, um, lower terpene content with the herbs now than they did with the hang dry.
1: So, so I think the problem here in this example is, is that we don't know the air dry parameters, right? So everybody's (coughs) air dry parameters are going to be different. So it's going to be hard for them to replicate it. They're
0: saying 60 degrees and 60% humidity is what was used. Scott from herbs now has used that. Uh, and Grow Eat Easy has used that as their standard, as the hang dry standard.
1: Right. But are they in a sealed room? Are they in a closet? How good is their, is their air dry area? That's what I'm saying. Some people take it more serious than others. So, you know, maybe she took it really serious. And then the person who tried to replicate it didn't. And then the, the, there might be a mistake there. I did it in my oh, Curador, sorry. which keeps a perfect 60 60.
0: And I did it in my Herbs Now. And I think the Herbs Now product is infinitely better. Like it, it's almost twice as good in my user experience well, i have the option to do both i use the herbs now i got them both for free one was gifted to me by a, a listener the other one i won a few years ago on my wedding uh, as a 420 giveaway so i try to think that i'm as unbiased as possible i did three harvests in a row where i did side by side and every single time the herbs now one for me but i still use the curador to cure my stuff so to Follow up after I dry it in the herbs. Now I stick it in the curador. I think yeah. cold does preserve, but there That's is something about drying the plant down, getting the moisture out of the plant, and then getting it into the jar without having mold mildew and any any issues. I mean, I bet you there's user the error,
1: the now to dry, dry now to cure. Cure. I like that. You. I bet you there's. It's a killer you know, combination, but you herb. don't need
0: the herbs now, or not the herbs now. You don't need the curador. You can go on Best Buy and look up wine fridge. And any wine fridge, I don't want people to like get the cannabis tax. I think that's a little bit bullshit. I won mine, so I got them free. I'll be honest with you. You can go find a wine fridge that keeps 60 degrees and 60% RH. There's also uh, photography equipment cabinets that keep 60% humidity and 60% RH. So uh, look around, find used ones, uh, clean it up, and you'll be really, very, very happy. Every single bit of cannabis I get, I stick it in there for a few days and it comes out better than when it came in with the curador. Um, So it's definitely, I think getting it cold and keeping it in the proper humidity, I think does create a higher desirability of the cannabis when it's finally dried and cured. That might be obvious, but I mean, it's, um, I I was shocked to see how much a room temperature, like, even if it's like 68 degrees or 70 degrees or 72 degrees that 10 or however many degrees makes a big difference, uh, especially over time, days and days. And like, the other thing is there's a UV protectant on the glass. So you're not going to get any light, you know, getting in there. And uh, I don't know, it's an interesting thing, but like I said, a refrigerator or a wine fridge can do the exact same thing. But the whole herbs now thing, um, I think it's just about consistency. Like Spartan was saying, some people's 60-60 isn't the same as other people's 60-60. They might set up one little temperature gauge and assume that the whole entire room is 60-60. But if they have a giant ass room, it might be 60-60 over here, but it's not 60-60 over there. And um, it's a lot easier to control a small space than a larger space in some cases. In some cases, it's actually easier to control a large space than a smaller space. So it really comes down to your setup, like you were saying, and uh, how confident are you that you're holding a good 60 60 because like he dries and cures in a dedicated dry space that i'm pretty confident that with his you know machine setup that he has with a dehumidifier and an air conditioner he pretty well has it controlled
1: where his space is going to be 60 60 so that's why i took the time to build it out so i'd have the space to store on shelving on the sides and then i can also dry in there i was going to say there's probably ways
8: to finesse the Herbs now performance right and like isn't there you could add a tray of water a little sorcerer there's or a humidity like
0: shot if you're in like a dry area um, personally right. I've, so I've never had might to been it.
8: using it wrong for your know, not not the best that they could have been
0: like any well. kitchen appliance there's right. user error and there's a learning curve like I have the extract craft we did not run it perfectly the first time it took us a little bit to figure out how to like you know get every bit out of it and like when to pull the oil and uh, things like that but. I think there are great devices and there are people that maybe misuse them or maybe they didn't grow a great crop. So shit in, shit out. So it's like you, you throw shit in there, it's not going to come out gold. But um, I do think more often than not, people don't get things a fair shake. Um, but if they invested the money, like most people, I think even if they didn't get great results the first time, if they try it again, they might have good results the second time. But uh, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. You know, I don't want people to beat their head against the wall. <laughs> and um, So I think that people just have to figure out what works best for them. And um, there's definitely good systems, but I want to get to the next question. Roller City asked, has anyone played around with silica gel beads in the container um, when freezing and fulvic acid when popping beans? So I I got a little bit lost on that question, but uh, silica gel beads in the container. Has anybody tried those as the first half?
1: Uh, the only time I've used those was uh, that's, yeah, that's I mean, when I used to to sit and trim and we had a bunch of people sitting around. I was like, oh, I got to get this humidity down, and I bought those for that, set them on the table.
0: That's funny. I heard um, – I got – I want to say it was the uh, Bad Bunny Nutrients was talking about maybe doing an organic soil with the gels in there so that when you water it, it would hold water for a longer time, and then the gel would store some of that water and release it back to the plant as needed. But that's as yeah, far as just- –
3: what was the purpose of the is it for i thought it would be a desiccant for the seeds to like suck the moisture out of the seeds oh
0: okay so that was a a seed related question i was thinking about in soil and i totally misread it so they're talking about has anyone used silica gel beads like the little packs that come in like your shoe or whatever the desiccant packs yeah yeah
3: Uh, Yeah. yes The the
7: answer is i'm sure lots of people have used that
0: yep yeah, and
7: I I've never, I've never done it. I wonder if it would have any adverse se- uh, effect
9: on the seed. Yeah, usually in a sterile <laughs> was, like little packet.
7: Yeah. I put it. I day put day it on or. like
8: separate. Like, I, I roast a tray of dry rice, and I get it over three fifty to kill whatever might be alive in it, or that's what I think anyway. And then I jar that up really tight and keep it tight, and then I add that to keep it des- desiccated but not too dry, sure. and um. There was something else I was gonna say. Oh yeah, the the, like and the silica gel packs. I would if I have contain like if they're already in bags or in uh, centrifuge vials of seeds and then in bags and stuff. I I put some of those in there just to keep the surround like in the bag with it, not next to the seeds ever. You know, because I'm paranoid like Russ Brandon is about contamination and shit. But I'll do that sometimes. But yeah, most likely I don't even bother with that.
0: We have another question. Uh, Hardly Rich asks, can you guys touch on the use of UV UV light Mm -hmm. supplements to increase terpenes, et cetera? What I do know is from um, Migro, they've went to a facility over somewhere, I think in the UK, potentially, uh, where they're looking at hemp being grown. And they saw that with like plasma lights and UV lights, they were starting to see an increase in terpenes, whether it was cannabis, (coughs) uh, hemp, or like rosemary. So they're using it for their culinary Uh, cultivation to increase yields of those things that are highly desirable. And so I do think that there is a lot of uh, interesting research. I would say it's sort of on the bleeding edge where I'm looking at it right now. Like I think the small amount of risk that does exist with it might not be worth the uh, extra effort. I, I think that you definitely can, if you want to go through all the effort of implementing it, you'll probably see a benefit, but I do think you'd also probably see a benefit from just adding like a a a blue spectrum boost or a red spectrum boost on whatever light you're using or getting a more efficient light. Um, but with that being said, I do think that there's lots of, uh, positive science showing that UV light in the right ratios and the right UV because there's UV, A, B, and C, um, you got to get the right one. So with that in mind, um, I I think it's promising, but there's a lot that you have to consider when looking into that. So with all that said, I want to pass it off to the panel. Brandon, do you have any thoughts on UV light supplementation for increasing terpenes?
7: I was talking about light with uh, George, who owns the NASA Agritech company out in Chicago. And he was telling me that the uh, lower frequency is a higher energy wave. And so there are different processes that are going to occur at a... Uh, higher in a higher energy state than a lower energy state in the plant. And so those are the um, some of the like different metabolic processes. And I don't have a lot of research. It's not something that I've actively like really delved, uh, delved into. But I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, after I start commuting back and forth, I'll know a little bit more.
0: I will say I I did some research when I was building my led and 440 nanometer light, which is pretty, um, on the lower, like you were saying, like it's a high intensity, it's getting closer to UV. Like UVs are like 280 to low three hundreds in the nanometer wavelength spectrum. might be a little over some people's heads, but, um, that blue has been shown to not only increase terpene production, but also increase anthocyanin production. So I found that interesting. I like purple cannabis in my cannabis. Um, I think that it is beautiful and it might not always be associated with the most potent stuff, but, uh, I do think that it's pretty, and it's cool if it exists in the genetics to be able to make it express. Um, so being a home cultivator in my little, you know, few square feet, it's a uh, cool to see the different expressions and phenotypes that come out with, I think the extra blue and red on top of it. Um, but I think that was maybe all I had to say about that. <laughs> um, UV. Yeah. I talked about UV earlier and I wanted to pass it maybe to, uh, Dr. MJ, do you have any thoughts on UV? Cause I know you've been looking a lot at lighting, but, um, we had hemp with GG on last week actually, and they had a really badass light that I hadn't seen you review yet. And are like, Oh, you know, doc actually got me hooked up with this, but they had like a, I believe a UV bar or some sort of supplementation on there. So I'm curious your thoughts on this.
3: Yeah. GG's got the Spectrum X, which has supplemental, uh, UV lighting. Um, yeah, you know, what was the question? I'm sorry. I get caught up in these chats and I'm just like chatting with people and, and then suddenly somebody's like, hey, doc, what do you think? I'm like, wait, what? I'm on a show? Hold on. It says,
0: can you guys touch on the use of UV lights to increase terpenes, etc."
3: Um certainly there seems to be good evidence that uv light can it can make buds better at the end increasing cannabinoids, potentially terpenes i don't know jack do we have a lot of evidence or a lot of, of um, science specific to terpenes with uv
0: not yet but i think it's promising still because the early data when they look at like the high mountain varieties versus the lower stuff where the higher uv levels were the THC was increasing and things like that. And There's also been studies, like I was mentioning earlier, with uh, Migro, where he's gone over to facilities where they're using plasma, even indoor versus outdoor cultivation. I think the higher levels of UV can uh, potentially bring out more terpenes and cannabinoids, but the science has not been done. Uh, I definitely think it's speculative. Yeah, I I mean that's where I'm at with it
3: too. I I would like to add UV to the light, and I actually sort of like the way that that fixture does it. I don't think that adding one or two UV diodes to the uh, full spectrum LED is the Right way to sort of add uv light to your grow space i talked to a bunch of companies that are coming out with integrated uvs with separate dimming controls and and separate controllability for like the the you know um uva light and the 660 nanometer red light and the 730 ir light and all of this it, it sort of strikes me that these could these would be better served as as separate things so um, getting a separate UV bar or having a light that has the UV bar added onto to it, um, I think there's there's good reason to think that that could be beneficial. But like you're saying, it's tough to recommend these products without the sort of the hard data to, to really stand on and say, this is what it does, and this is what it does without it and this is what it does with it and this is why we use it. and this is sort of the return on investment of buying
0: it. Um, we're not
3: to that point with it. Yeah, so. like looking
0: at their grow, like what else could they improve before they start adding UV? Like they probably could just get a more efficient LED or they probably could just, you know, get more fans or something else that would improve their grow immediately right then that yeah. we know is going to have an ROI. Where The, that's the message I want to send
3: to growers about the UV light is don't buy a grow light just because it says it has UV light in it. Because most of those lights that, that say they have UV light, I mean, I tested one recently that literally had one diode. It had one UV diode.
0: Um, now they can claim it the, in marketing. UV, you know. Yeah. And then they can it add it UV. to the
3: marketing. It, exactly. So th- think about that. If you're interested in the benefits of UV light, you're going to need more of it than the the fixtures are, than most fixtures are building in. And you're not going to really want it sort of the, the whole grow necessarily, um and you know it doesn't I think it's just overly complicated to like have a a integrated controller necessarily that can change that I mean that's one way to do it but you can also just get a UV light
4: I also wonder if like this you know uh, I think you even mentioned this before uh Dr. MJ but like I feel like there would be less marginal ways to to increase the the target, right? Which would be an increase in cannabinoids and or terpenes, right? Right. Or, or, or the very least to balance it, like, cause you might run into a situation where you get more of something, but less of another thing, right? It's not going to be black and white um, in response. And I would be, oh, Uh, well, Brandon, I I see you. I hear uh, you. Hamid and Han, do you have an opinion? I'm
7: curious. So, okay. So this is what I'm thinking, right? So does wavelength of light improve the function the cell functionality that's that's the real question right because if you're going to increase terpene production or a cannabinoid you know like let's say cbd cbd is specifically what it's a carbon hydrogen oxygen and with a certain number of carbon hydrogen and oxygen molecules now the plant is taking carbon dioxide turning into tar- carbon monoxide taking water splitting atoms and then combining that carbon with other things so can the light improve the ability to you know on a cellular level that's the real question that goes through my mind can we see an in uh uh,
3: well hold on i want to i want to encourage you to think about this maybe a little bit
7: differently brandon
3: it's not just if it improves function i mean i think I, i agree with you a lot in terms of that's how we should think about par wavelengths and the light that we're giving to generate photosynthesis. But to the extent that UV is helpful in the production of terpenes or cannabinoids, it, it may not be because it's actually helping improve plant functions. It may be almost pissing the plant off and the plant, plant, is, the plant is responding to that. It, it is um, you know, provoking a response in the plant. Um, anyways. I want to answer
0: Brandon's question directly. Here it is, the Emerson effect. I mean, I could try and go back, but there it is. All right. So here you can see just red versus just the 730. When you combine them, you get a much greater result. So using different spectrums of light, yes, you can improve at least photosynthesis. And if your plant is photosynthesizing better, then it's going to produce yeah. more. Right. Well, I, I, well, I can okay. pause it now.
3: So I, well, yeah, but on, that's not a uv light well, issue i know but yeah. i'm just
0: saying as far as like using a spectrum of light to impact how your plant is uh interacting yeah. on a cellular level uh, yeah. it is producing more photosynthate
7: yeah quantitatively oh, oh, my my question is then is that uh that by phosphate oxygenase enzyme is that is it Is it uh, being created more efficiently or does the process in which that enzyme is involved become more efficient?
4: So my, my understanding has always, and, and perhaps is totally outdated or even maybe like outmoded by other processes. I don't know. And I'm curious to get people's opinion on this, but I thought it wasn't so much like a photosynthesizing effect as much as it's like, um, i guess this is i guess it's all a reaction to photons at the end of the day and their energy level right but like um i thought that there was there was maybe like a kind of like a damage response effect
3: that's what i was saying matthew yeah exactly i think that that's what uv does it almost hurts the plant and that provokes the plant to make more cannabinoids potentially more terpenes other things like that as a response
8: i'll say for sure they have i'll have the paper that uh it says UVB radiation uh, or UVB light increases THC, but it doesn't say anything about terpenes. So I'll put yeah. that link. To that.
4: Also, aren't terpenes like super volatile, right? So I would be curious if like that would have. They a are, and the, so I think. Effect.
0: Like Uncle Reefer, for example, uh, I saw Grandmaster Level earlier in the chat, and I know uh, Spartan goes on the Grandmaster Level show. Uncle Reefer is over there. I follow him, have for a long time. And I think HLG even did a thing for a little while where they had the UV, um, like fluorescent light, where they could clip it in and, like, you know, plug it into the driver or whatever. But to that point, um, I think people are running it for like three hours a day max, like late in flower. They're not using it a bunch. Um, Like, so the volatility, um, cannabis grown outside. I had 7% plus terpenes from um, Mendo Dope Boys. They grow underneath the sun. There is UV out there and they can still manage to uh, get themselves, you know, high terpene cannabis with the high amounts of UV that are produced by sunlight. And so I think it's the right levels. You have to just hit that level properly. And um, micro um,
7: nutrition too. nutrition is going to be a huge part. So they can, you know, create all those chemical compounds out of the elements that they're absorbing.
0: So I wanted to ask the chat uh, because I just admitted Cheddar Bob because we know Cheddar Bob. He's a good dude. He's been on the show before, um, but we have a Lou um, <laughs> Lewis th- that's trying to join. I don't know who that is related to. So if you could identify yourself in the chat, I'd be more apt to letting you join. I just don't I want to have some King Louis. random person jump in and start saying some inappropriate things and yeah, don't, require us to come out. do let
9: Cheddar Bob some the Yeah. the it- you know I'll Lord. say inappropriate things anyways. But. That's what we there brought you, you know. on for, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. At <laughs> least Welcome we know if
0: you uh, take off the shirt, you'll have a Superman or a superhero shirt underneath it. So we're safe there.
9: It's true. Got a little war machine on.
0: How's the garden doing? We got an update from you a few weeks ago. Uh, I know you got some cherry uh- pie going on.
9: Yeah, that cherry pie will be will finish eight weeks. This one right here um, on Thursday, so I'm gonna I'm gonna chop it down. Um, it seems to finish a little bit faster under the LEDs for some reason. Only needs to go eight weeks. So, but you guys were talking about uh, UV supplement, and this is what I use. This is a uh, Solacure. I don't know how many of you have heard about Dennis, but. Um, Like this is just a two foot light and it covers, I have, you know, this is the other one. I have to put it in my tent. Um, But I run that in between the photon tech bars about, I don't know, it's about 22 inches above the canopy as they're, as they're starting to stretch right now. So I'll raise that up and I keep the UVB a light the flower power about that height. And I definitely, on one run, I ran it on just one light, so it covered like half the garden, and um, or half the tent. It's not really a garden. Um, it's a garden, and uh, and and I could totally tell the difference, you know, from the UV penetration on that half. Really, um, the the, tent what was the difference? from from the other half, uh, the the, th- the colors, the anthocyanin response was oh, faster. Okay. Um, you know, the purples came out. And, I thought you were to say you saw
8: big glands of resin.
9: Yeah. Well, actually, the heads were larger on that side of the oh, Royal Spill. That counts big. Um, than, than they were on the other side. And the way that I knew was because I trimmed each side separately. And the heads actually wouldn't go through my trim tray uh, from, the UV, from the UV supplement side. That's a the, huge fucking was, head.
1: Above
0: yeah, 150.
9: Yeah. It. I mean... Like legit, it looked like sugar grains. It was it was insane. Um, I this it was the first time I'd supplemented a whole run, uh, properly using the U V B, you know, whether it be time and height and stuff like that.
8: So, how so? How many
9: hours you put it on for each each uh on period? I have it on for two hours at like the high point, uh, what would be like high noon, you know, okay. at, Earth, Earth, so. Earth. You know, my time, it's six hours into flower. What's like that? Six, hours, uh, like six, six, five, six hours in the flower. Yeah. Like from, so my lights come on at seven. Uh, it's on from like 1130 to
0: 130. So I want then... to say cheers to Lou Groen who just jumped in and uh, he said that he's got some limerilla that I think he wants to show off and just give him a chance to introduce himself. And uh, thanks for joining.
5: Very cool. Cheers, you yo. Uh, pretty humble to be on here, I've been a long time listener and uh, pretty much learned a lot about growing from y'all, so much love. Um, everyone can hear me okay? Yeah, we can yeah, see. Yeah. see you yeah. and hear you, We're doing great. Well, I'm going to try to be quick, um, but I'm a little bit in between right now with my grows, but I just harvested uh, lime orilla and some mint mango from Umami Seed Co., and then I have this one plant left. This is Australian Bastard Cannabis. I feel like I should definitely share with the audience. They would love yeah, to see yeah, that. Sweet. For
0: sure. That's awesome. Surround. You've got a good taste in breeders.
5: And this is probably last week before I chopper. Oh, we. So I had this growing <laughs> in my 4x4. Four four and uh, had to move it down here just to finish up in the 4, b- four by 2 have a Mars hydro TS 1000 just a few fans.
0: That's amazing work. How you got it all spread out. And, uh, it's interesting if you can get up really close so you can maybe show off one of the leaves. And, uh, for the people who don't know, ABC, Australian bastard cannabis gets these kind of uh, funky leaves like we're seeing right here. Um, it's a amazingly different cannabis plant, but as you can see later in flower, it's more obvious. Uh, when he's panned out, it just looks like a bunch of nugs stacking and, uh, Great job growing That's it because I know it can growing. be a difficult one.
9: Looks like a basil leaf.
0: Okay. It's it's a leaf.
5: leaf. And uh, yeah, it's starting to go purple the last few days, just a slight purple hue.
8: Where's um,
5: Definitely like you want to trim a lot of the bottom stuff. And I kind of let it go at first, but at the end, I was really having to catch up pruning the skirts because it just becomes such a dense bush. But uh yeah, I'm really excited to chop this baby soon. You nice. Uh, I- how does it smell? You know, I will say cuz I've looked at it with a microscope and smelled it, it's like much less THC and terpenes than you would get from traditional cannabis, you know. I'm going to guess that it's maybe a 10 to 15%er just by how it looks and like But it definitely has like an earthy, woody, piney, lemony kind of smell profile to it, I would say.
0: That's a great description, man. You gave a bunch of notes we could uh, relate to there.
5: Some of
9: those 12 to 15 percenters will get you messed up, too.
5: I'm really excited to see how it smokes. Um, I know I don't have good light down here. I'm actually going to bring this upstairs so we can see it better. But here is my Lime Orilla. Ready to be trimmed dry today. I'll uh, bring it into a better view. I apologize for running around.
0: Are you getting the lime terpenes or aromatic profile off that? Or what's the uh, aroma as you're walking up the hallway with her?
5: Oh, it's delicious. I mean, it definitely has that GG4 funky smell. And it definitely has that lime citrusy zing. I would say it's more heavily gg 4 but uh i basically kind of manifolded this and i messed it up because i missed literally one topping and it kind of created like a quarter of the plant to not bolt as high um but uh ended up having pretty dense beautiful i mean this plant was so beautiful it finished super early it chunked up super quick it's a pleasure to grow so thank you brandon if you're still uh still yeah, I'm here
7: i'm glad that you like it i really like that like those ones that i grew out they had a the lime was more like a, a a zest peel right it wasn't so much like the fruit itself but it has this like kind of chemical funk too that just stays on your fingers and you can get, smell it
0: everything gg4 cross or straight up gg4 i've had has been great medicine potent uh just good stuff for me at least i'm a big fan and limarilla in my experience has been fire as hell every single time i've tried it so maybe i'm biased because it's always been home growers who love the shit and do it well so uh definitely good stuff and i'm happy that you were able to jump on Lou grown uh very cool to see you growing out some of brandon's gear and did you have something else that you wanted to show us there as well
5: um i mean that's about it i'd love to get back on in the future because i'm moving soon And when I have my new setup running, I would love to show you all my four by four, all inspired off your techniques. So I'm sure you'd all be interested to see uh, how I do it. But uh, basically I just uh, run my autos with my photos and veg my photos while I flower my autos and uh, do a perpetual harvest that way. And uh, I have a little veg tent that four by two and I do a four by four flower tent. Um, But yeah, cheers y'all. Thanks so much for having me on. It's really a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us. It was awesome to see the ABC. That was a nice surprise. Really
1: mean,
5: Glad it. to share. Yeah, thanks. Much love to y'all. Grow
1: love. Sure love, man.
0: Have a good one. You're welcome on uh, whenever you want to come back, whenever you've moved or whatever uh, time, whenever we send out these links, you're more than welcome to join the show.
9: Appreciate you passed the ethics test. <laughs> Appreciate it, y'all.
0: We look for uh, home growers, good people, you know, uh, common interests. I, I think we've been very blessed with the community who's been able to come on and, and show off their garden and uh, ask questions and things like that. I've always been very confident in the awesomeness of our chat. Uh, just so many good people. People are answering each other's questions before we can even get to them a lot of the time, The just conversations going back and forth in the chat. It's like a whole different show. Uh, it's sometimes like Doc was saying earlier, like he's keeping up with the chat. It's like you can only either keep up with one or the other. It's like, you know, you, you can miss what's going on in the conversation because the chat might be so engaging so we're very uh, fortunate
7: it's a really unique opportunity for all of us to engage with people that are new to cannabis because the basis of the community starts with home grow and so being able to integrate them into the type of you know mind mindset lifestyle you know is uh it's nice to be that, you know, to be a part of that bridge, bridging that gap, you know, from um, people that know absolutely nothing to, you know, a year later, knowing who all the top breeders are and where they can look for good and good quality information. And
0: yes, yeah, I'm happy that we're able to share and uh, spread a lot of positivity and growers love uh, Cheddar Bob, I just spotlighted you there for a second. You were showing off uh, the scrog looking very good. I'm curious if you have any <laughs> thoughts on some updates over there. It looks like it's uh, progressing pretty healthy.
9: Yeah, we're about a week into flower. I think I flipped these on like the 16th or 17th. Um, But, you know, I cleaned everything up down. So it's not looking too bad. Um, I got some good just lots of tops coming up. you know, you can see the uh, application of green lacewing sort of stuff that I added for any sort of protection going into flower. I'll kind of rinse that off as I as I go through uh, the next
1: couple of weeks. You know, rinse that off with some foilers and stuff. So like that. I know that's got to drive you nuts, like it drives me nuts, man. Um, you can get from like Arbico Organics, you can get, and it's their cheapest shit, these little hanging boxes. And then you can hang the boxes, they're open tops,
6: the satchel boxes.
1: And then you can just dump that shit into the box instead of all, all over your plant. And then they'll crawl out of the box and ca- crawl onto your plant that way. That's the way to get oh. the shit off your plants.
4: You can do that. Uh, sometimes. I like that. It, it, I definitely, solo cup also works well. And, um, but sometimes you want to like get a, an even spread and that can sometimes be more important, but I know I totally empathize. I feel like it's a cleaner sort of setup. And also I'm always, I'm sometimes a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess I, I always want to be careful with like the, like, the material. Sometimes it's vermiculite, sometimes it's bran, sometimes it's uh, buckwheat shells. And uh, especially for the latter two, you know, I, I always wonder, could that be a vector for like a pathogen? You know, if it gets a little bit too wet or something, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So cheddar Bob, I saw you had a bowl sitting over there on top of that lobster wire uh, scrog. What are you talking on tonight? <laughs> uh,
9: let's see. Um, that bowl happens to be some outdoor cherry pie that I grew in the, uh, the earth boxes. I think you saw those ones, Jack. I'm on like, yep. I think we even featured porch.
0: them. I-, I featured them even on a show that you weren't here just showing off like earth boxes and how well they can do. Um, but it's definitely, I'm curious, what are your <laughs> thoughts? Indoor versus outdoor, uh, the cherry pie. Do you notice anything um, we're talking about UV earlier and just the general observation of indoor versus outdoor.
9: So uh, there's a, there's a few huge differences, and that just has to do with with my my environment. My back porch doesn't get full full light like my indoor does. So there's that. Um, the terpene profile is a little bit different. Um, just a couple different nuances that you know you can pick out here and there. But but overall, it's just that fermented cherry, like obnoxious sort of like cocaine ether smell you know like you can smell it in their purses a couple seats down sort of stuff um but yeah uh so the structure wise uh the outdoor was was much different it wasn't as dense um more leafy but i i'm gonna equate that to just the 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 lack of uh sunlight total sunlight hours so um but I'm still very happy with it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely uh, interesting because it's not like you're on like a mountaintop getting direct light all day, so the UV, uh, you know, that you have might not be enough to, you know, be comparative to if you would have gotten similar amounts of light just uh, with direct light uh, compared to the indoor. But I think they can both be done very, very well. I do think that maybe uh, with the UV included or like greenhouse or outdoor, I think that that has a little bit higher potential. Uh, in my opinion and experience I think the flower can just the full sun something about it can really bring out some awesome things in the planet but it does depend a lot on the environment uh, which can be out of your control sometimes so indoor is always I think going to be a thing in our lifetimes and I'm very happy to continue doing it so it's uh provides people consistent medicine throughout the years too especially in areas like um, Michigan or Ohio where they have pretty harsh winters um yeah, you get a big crop tober or even people who do autos get stuff, you know, earlier in the year. But when that winter comes around, it's nice to have those indoor guys keep rolling and keep a nice, steady, fresh supply around for the people that like just a fresher, bud. Uh, but
1: be just, you know, variety and uh, consistency. So big. I love outdoor too, man. I don't know, man. I love it all. I fucking want to do it all, but yeah, I was happy. I took down my outdoor. I got it, got it to harvest. So my, I thought was an auto. That wasn't an auto. Then I said, fuck it. I'm going to leave the photo out there and see if I can get it to harvest in my backyard without it being ripped. I fucking did it. So pat myself on the back for that one. I needed a water. freaking saw to come down. Oh yeah, dude. I had a saw. It was. I mean, the trunk was like this at the bottom. It's it's still out there. I didn't even pull the pot. I'm like, I'm not even going to try to pull it out. I'm going to let it rot over the wintertime and then try to get it out of there. That was awesome, man, to see that you were
0: able to get it through uh, not only rain, but you're in a, area with some foot traffic and potentially could have had some you know dumb kid jump over and take some or all of the plant in a single night yeah. so to make it through a full season with a plant though you were talking about doing an auto for a reason you know it's a shorter yeah. cycle time it's like less less time for people to find out but with yeah. that uh it shows at least you had some pretty good security and hopefully nobody really noticed because you kept it below that fence line and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that you made it all the way to harvest man that's awesome
1: and it we had it plant right next to my herb garden so like I, it, i'm not gonna say it was completely camouflaged with it but it did help keep the smells like mixed up you know that's awesome uh, advice for those out there you know
0: in michigan you can grow recreational those 12 and uh sneak one or two in outdoor and like you said even if you lost it you have got your stuff going on indoors so it was kind of just like a, a hope
1: and it looks like you got a pretty decent harvest out of it it yeah, seems like man. you're gonna have
0: a good amount of uh, flour to work with maybe make some oil
1: yeah, I'm still drying it right now, but um, by the looks of it, I mean I won't be able to tell until so I start trimming on it. But uh, man, I would say conservatively, there's a pound probably, so a pound. And and literally, I, I watered that plant four times. That's the only work I did. No, that's not true. I did leaf strip it, but that was it, man. It did. It was. It was autopilot. Okay, for you, it's
0: uh, encouraging to those people that maybe want to try a little outdoor. Uh, you can definitely get by. I know the American one, you can maybe tell some stories about your guerrilla days of uh, going out there and not being able to get to plants too often and pulling off and harvest and you know, put enough out there, you can get a good crop.
8: Dude, a couple are really amazing. The uh, that, But like I said, thieves, they want to be thieves because they don't want to work. So if you just make it a little bit of work for them to get to your plants, most likely they won't get to them. So... Yeah, I would walk like a half a mile. One time, I I, well, I was there a long time for a half a mile, like walk half a mile in the woods, but no one until, it was a hunting area, and I figured out hunters must have came across it, and then I went there one time, and I had like a fence, but it was so rusted, you couldn't really see it. You had to like almost walk into it. I had a fence around the thing, and then I had this like one little stash spot, and uh, when I was walking to it, I would walk on the regular path for a little ways and then break off of that and go in deep, you know? And when I was walking up the regular path, there was some stuff that was mine that was at the spot. I was like, oh shit, what the hell is this? When I got there and noticed someone was there, I just turned around and never went back there. But um, yeah, I I had 60 plants out in there one time and I took in, like I took like 12 at a time, clones. They were all clones. And that was the most I ever did. But yeah, really. It was like a it was a religious experience at the end when uh, harvesting the shit at that
0: point. <clears throat> so how many would you say in that 60 uh, ended up making it to the crop? Was it like you came up to a little field like uh, Ricky from Trailer Park Boys?
8: Uh, yeah, and you could smell it. By the time I was going there to get it, you could smell it like the wind was right. And uh, I remember uh, I only lost two. That was the time that I, the termites, because I did, I chopped down a tree which I kind of feel bad for now, but there's just so many. And they, the, the growth comes back, you know, I took down one tree, but I think that's might be why there was some termites around, but it was all wooded and like, it was all, there was trees felled everywhere and, you know, there was dead rotting wood all around, but I cleared an area, but <clears throat> yeah, that's when I had the termites. So I really had like 57 of them at the end. So that was really crazy.
4: You know, on that topic, I just wanted to point out that, uh... It's true. And even uh, Aaron was on or Aaron had asked me this question recently. He asked, uh, cause I was sharing somebody's grow that got uh, termites and the plants were alive. And he asked um, that, cause he thought the termites only went after deadwood. And that's true for a lot of termites, but formosan termites are a super invasive insect and, it, and they're very hard to eradicate. And part of the reason for this is because they'll go after both. And I feel like I'm seeing more and more examples of that and certain ant species too going after life cannabis. So be careful guys. Like, uh, you know, don't, and like you said, you felt like you had to chop chop a tree down in order to like, you know, uh, (laughs) be successful. Like sometimes you have to, you have to treat these, these termites uh, in in a way, you know, like, like that, you got to get rid of their nests in some way. I I'm a big fan of Bouveria bastiana or, or some sort of botanical insecticide, but they're very, very hard to deal
1: with. Yeah, they come in through the roots
8: so, because the babies, they the babies come in through the roots and then they burrow their way up to the stem. That's where I first noticed it was at the very base of the plant. Well, first I noticed the leaves were all yellowing and then I, <laughs> I expected the plant. I didn't see anything on the outside, but at the base, when you squeeze the stem at the very base where it was like near the ground, it was all sponge-like spongy. And then I realized that it could be something that could go to the other ones. So, yeah, I did. I took, I uprooted the whole thing and put it in a plastic bag and I took it back to my place to inspect. It is what I did. And I found them. <laughs> and I took me like four days to Google Google search and to find out they were termites. Cause like, like your buddy, whoever, I thought they only eat dead wood, but apparently yeah, they grow. And that's how they get in.
4: Yeah. It's crazy. I want to give Spartan
0: um, a second oh, real yeah. quick to uh, give his final thoughts and shout out. Cause uh, he's got about 15 minutes before he starts up at the Michigan bros
9: grow show.
1: Yeah, i just want to thank everybody on the panel for hanging with us today and, the, and especially the guys that came on that uh, we haven't seen before louie that was awesome to show the garden um and of course cheddar bob i don't think i missed anybody today um and shout out to chat you know i've always loved chats i always say this but that's where i came from man i can't forget chat that's that's where i was picked out of man the very first show i ever did online was this show so this is my beginning right here. And, uh, you know, I don't plan on leaving. So
0: <laughs> we don't want you to, man. You've been a, a bright, bright, shining star in the community. I think it shows the people you can start in chat. Uh, and really, like, I think you're doing what is a lot of people's dream working at a commercial facility, growing their own. You have control over your home grow. You're still around plants all the time during your regular job, getting to smell thousands of plants. You know, it's like that's something a lot of people never even thought would have been a possible dream when they're coming up because, you know, the way things were legally. So, uh, I think yeah. it's cool to see.
1: It's like what Tao or or I don't know if it was Tao or you that said it, it was like a religious experience. That's my experience every day yeah. when I can open a flower room. And I know yeah. I'm small time. I know I'm small time. There's fucking greenhouses that are 10 times my size. But to me, that's the most cannabis I've ever seen in my lifetime in one room. So to me, it's still a religious experience. And when I get up on the ladder, especially to change out a bulb or something or to mess with the dehumidifier, you know, maybe throw a filter in or something and I get to see it all from a 20 foot tall ladder. It's just, I just, my heart skips a beat sometimes still. So that's how I know I'm still doing the right thing. Right. And that's why I got the smile on my face. So, so awesome. just, uh, <laughs> cheers, everybody. And uh growers love, love y'all. And uh, I'll see you guys in about 15 minutes on the Michigan Rose grow show. Love, Spartan. Spartan. Keep
0: growing. You can find him at Spartan grown and also at Mitten Canico. If you want to email him Spartan grown at gmail.com. Awesome, dude. Uh, big heart for the plant just clearly so passionate and that's why uh, it's awesome to have them on here every week. I think that we've got a lot of guys uh, on this panel that feel the same way about the plant and it really uh, comes across in their work. Uh, I've honestly haven't had the pleasure to go into a grow room like uh, Mitten Canico or Brandon, one of Brandon's facilities yet. It's all been underground for me or home grow level. And uh, I've seen some greenhouses and lots of videos and driven past some stuff, but uh, it's definitely still like, you know, surreal to some people because we never even thought this would be possible. So to be able to stand over a sea of cannabis and to smell it and to see it in person is uh, something that I think that everybody should get to experience at some point. I'm really looking forward to cannabis tourism taking off, like allowing potentially people to start touring farms and seeing live plants. So many people have never seen the live plant who consume it all the time. And that needs to change. I think it'll start opening up conversations about, Uh, what do they care about in the plant and maybe learning about the terpenes and minor cannabinoids and other things in there so uh, hopefully we see more and more of
7: that moving forward i I used to like look at magazines and be like oh my god that looks so crazy and then i'm like then i can just like go into like a my greenhouse and be like dude this is fucking awesome
0: Well, like what I grew up looking at in high times was like some sometimes dudes like other guys, programs that were like commercial operations, which now are like tiny compared to what is like all over California. There's like hectare acres. Like there's people just blowing it up all over the state. And same with Canada. You see like the videos of some of these facilities. It's like, holy fucking shit. Like, look at this endless rows of greenhouses. And a lot of the shit going unsold, unfortunately, because, uh, know they don't know the markets but it's really interesting to see even if it doesn't end up uh, always the best
7: i'm really excited about the, the some of these new technologies that um i'll be working with which is crazy because it is organic right it's organic because all of the molecules required are attached to carbon so it's pretty interesting uh this 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 uh carbon-based uh nutrient systems that's pretty interesting it's
0: funny because uh when i was on the show
7: listening when you explained
0: a lot of the stuff last week I, I didn't pick it up the first time but when i re-listened to the show it kind of like i don't know for whatever reason it clicked the second time around so maybe if anybody listened last week uh about that stuff and didn't get it quite the first time around maybe a second listen through could uh, help you pick some of it up but it's it's very interesting for sure i want to see the results. Um, the one thing that you were saying that I never kind of like pushed back on or questioned more deeply was you're saying the plant started looking plasticky. And I was wondering is, do you think that as a positive sign, it's like a resistant thing or like, I, I don't know. I hadn't ever heard you really describe plants like that before.
7: Um, for me, it's associated with a high oil production when the plant is able to create you know, where it's expressing itself, and it has everything it needs, and it's able to start creating, like uh, you know, oils, um, waxy coating. I mean, it almost yeah, looks like a hard waxy layer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's, and you know, I see it, um, I see it all the time, but to see, to see it happen in the like really high PPFD in the R and D container. Um, which t- typically um, I have to like do tons of amending on and like really have to push these smaller pots um, with their nutritional ca- uh, capacity um, and then just doing a single application and seeing the results. Uh, to me, I was like, here's the thing, dude, this stuff, I had this stuff sitting in my house probably eight months and I never used it. And I was like, hey, I'm going to try this out because you know the dude, I'd been talking to him and stuff and it, I thought it was uh, you know, just a knockoff fertilizer or whatever um and when i actually used it i was like man what's going on he's like you should talk to george you know and that's the guy that i got you know hooked up with and i was able to talk to start talking to the guy and he's like dude you need to come out here and so i've actually shifted my focus you know because my partner's actually owns the the property where our farm is where we've created you know black label organics he's pretty dead set on selling the place because he's not from cannabis, he doesn't really like, he's not interested in the, the workload, you know, because he didn't realize that it was gonna be so much work. And that's the idea that he had in his head was different from my experience, which is I've been doing this 20 years, I'm not fucking rich and that's it works. It's just, you make your means and you uh, pay your bills and, and you do what you love so you're not working, but that's, you know, not the case. So also, what crazy thing happened was the escrow that I was going through, it, it collapsed because the person on their end didn't have all of their paperwork together. So I have, you know, finances and I decided I'm going to invest in my future because I have this once in a lifetime opportunity that's also time sensitive because of George's age. I mean, he owns, a, um, he owns a plant in Mexico and in China, and what they do is they use extreme heat and pressure in a catalyst to separate pure carboxylic acid, which is humic fulvic acid, from a certain type of apatite, which is the mineral uh, that's mined. It's almost like coal, right? But it has a certain ratio of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen to it, so that it's you know kind of the, a pure form and they're attaching these mo- the micro macro molecules that are needed for the plant growth and you add it into the soil it's associated with carbon and adds carbon into the soil but it also adds these the the nutrient the nutrition that can be utilized on the metabolic demand because it's in a form that's available so the nutrients that are you that need to be Uh, you know when the roots come in contact from like inception right it'll be there because it stays in a form in the 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 soil structure it almost Um, sounds like
0: chelated like a chelated nutrient like sitting like a pot made out of chelated nutrients
7: yeah that's one of the things that they're patenting is you know the prototype was a peat pot that they actually just soaked in the nutrient solution but what they're doing is they're going to have a very, very thin structural core. And it's not going to be made of peat at all. It's going to be made out of uh, corn cob because it's a byproduct of huge agriculture. And the whole concept is to reallocate resources and have the proper resource management because what's happening is I'm learning that like, there's no, like, Plants use molecules, and those things aren't always organic because things that are organic are attached to carbon, as far as the you know chemist the definition in chemistry. And so, what I'm kind of um, reassessing is like the the being able to input carbon into the soil, but having things that are available um, also chelated, and so that way they have different modes of action when they're you know for the three different modes that are able to uptake um and so i don't know it's just an interesting opportunity and i've decided to invest my focus and my energy on learning as much as i can as quick as i can because he's really up there in age and he has you know what he did in china because he's been doing this developing the technology for 30 years and he's increased the protein content from 5% to 11% and double yield, they're able to get two consecutive harvests off the exact same plant. And so um, other, co- other countries have adopted this. And it's because it's uh, one of the biggest part of like the conventional fertilizers that are you know byproducts of petroleum distillation is that a lot of times creating some of these, um, the components that are needed Uh, are really energy insufficient even though you can pull things like out of the air like nitrogen right um and hydrogen create getting hydrogen from water is very expensive right it costs a lot of energy um and so being able to do things in a different manner where it's not where you're reallocating the energy resources is really what the the sustainability and it needs to focus as far as the science goes, right? Because there's...
0: For sure. But hey, I just want to say that's probably a good spot to uh, wrap it up and maybe give your final thoughts and shout out because we only got four minutes left and I want to go around the panel and uh, allow everybody else to get their shout outs in as
7: well. Yep. Well, I'm Brandon Rust. I appreciate everybody that tunes in to listen. And um, I love to be here and talk because uh, when I learn things, the more I talk about it, the deeper it sets in my mind. And so I appreciate all of the panel members. I appreciate People who are listening, Brandon Rust, rust rust.brandon on IG. You can find links to Bokashi Earthworks and Black Label Organics in my bio.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. And I agree. Sometimes uh, when you learn about something and then teach somebody something, um, I think when you teach them, it can imprint deeper in your mind. And uh, with that said, another great teacher on the panel who's helped a lot of growers out there, uh, Dr. MJ.
3: Hey, this was a fun show today. I'm glad I was able to make it back. I spent a lot of time just hanging out and chatting with the chatters in the the feed there. Thanks, Jack, for remembering we had a show and getting here. Just in, I didn't even notice this are late, man. I guess that's, I mean, saying something about me. But um, thanks to the rest of the panelists, thanks to all the chatters, everybody else that listens. I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. Um, come check us out. We're getting geared up for the New Year's Grow Challenge. I just dropped a video on germination last week. i um, doing a couple more videos coming out soon. And um, yeah, I plan to be back here again next week. So grow or love, everyone.
0: We always enjoy having you, whether you're just hanging out in the chat and engaging over there or uh, talking on the panel. We always appreciate your feedback and also your content. I know the American one shouted out that seed germination video last week in your absence. So uh, let the people know where to find the good content on the YouTube. uh, I won't keep them for last uh, like usual this time. So I'll pass it next over to the American one.
8: Hello, Uh, Jack. Thanks again for hosting as usual. I uh, always love being here and it was good to have on Louie and, uh, cheddar Bob and, I uh, always like listening to R- Russ Brandon, um, and everybody, Matthew Gates and Dr. MJ Coco and Aaron, the grower and Noah, the grower and, uh, everyone in chat peace. I'm the American one, the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. And, uh, yeah, I'm always glad to be here and we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks again for joining us. And, uh, Next up, Matthew Gates.
4: Yeah, I can totally relate with talking uh, quite a bit on subjects that you really are passionate about. Uh, the things I'm passionate about, of course, include IPM and the plant health dynamics therein, which you can find in three main places. My Xenthanol website, xenthanol.com. You can find it in my YouTube channel, which is also Xenthanol. You can also find on my Instagram at SyncANgel. I suppose also you can find it in my Twitter at SyncAngel. angel and coming up, I have a article in skunk magazine, which will go over uh, the dynamics of the plant immune system and how that relates to cannabis in particular.
0: It's exciting stuff. I know uh, people really look forward to that content. Uh, I know that's some really uh, extensive research that you put in for any of those articles. So I look forward to it when it comes out. I don't know if, uh, Lou grown, are you still with us? If you want to give a final thought and shout out, you can, uh, now.
5: Yes, sir. Um, cheers y'all. I am at Lou grown on Insta and YouTube, and it was an absolute pleasure being on the show with the best panel on YouTube. Um, (laughs) I'll be tuning in week to week. So, uh, can't wait for more content and, uh, cheers y'all grow love. I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, show my plants and, uh, love to come back on in the future
0: You'll definitely be welcome in the future man it was awesome having you cool to see the uh, limarilla harvest and the australian bastard cannabis that uh, was really great having you to be honest and uh, also shout out to cheddar bob for coming on again also want to say check out pbreeding.com he's got an upcoming drop coming out on the 29th uh and aaron the grower has got atgacres.com where you can get the plant packer uh matthew gates just mentioned earlier some of the places you could find him you could also find him on patreon uh, where you can start as little as $1 a month to support and get access to his Discord server and get pri- primary access to him and answering uh, your questions about IPM and related topics. So uh, make sure to support these guys. And last but certainly not least myself, I'm your host, Jack Greenstock. I love being here every week, even if I forget to show up to the show. <laughs> and my panel reminds me, hey, got to send the link, got to get us going live. So I think that uh, we kept it mostly smooth. You can find my little at uh, Jack Greenstock here behind me on Instagram is where I'm primarily at. You can also find me Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. Um, you can email Jack Greenstock 47 at gmail.com. And if you'd like a copy of my book, 50 strains of green, you can go to 50 strains.com trying to put in the last 50 days of work on uh, 50 strains of purple. So I have 50 strains for each book and I'm just going through and uh, getting all the information, doing some editing, working with my editor, shout out to ancient soul grown. He has been in the chat throughout the night. Awesome dude. He's uh, helps with the formatting of the 50 strains series. He did the second edition. So big cheers to him and shout out sequence for doing the covers for me. And uh, lady Greenstock for the lovely cover photography. But With that said, this is Jack Greenstock signing out. Grow
5: love, everybody.
9: Grow love. Grow love, y'all.
5: We'll catch you next week.